Blog Talk Radio. Tuesday, 
sorry. But you guys, you got all that right. Power on Sunday. I don't know the time because always watching it when it comes back. And Greenleaf is on Tuesday and on the own network, Powers and the Stars Network. All right? And I got to jump on that new show. I keep people keep seeing people talk about um, Snowball or Snowflake or Snow White or something. But it's supposed to be better than Power. Like, somebody shoot me a quick message and tell me what the name of the show is so I can quit calling it Powder Puff Snow and all that stuff. Anyway, I heard it's really good. So I'm going to check that out as well, you know, during my downtime next couple of months. Uh, school starts back in January. I'm super excited to have my guest here tonight. You know what I hate more than anything in the world? It's when people flake on the show, all right? When, when you come to me like a month in advance, I got to get it out of my system. Sorry, got to get it out of my system. When you come to me a month in advance, you harass me about being on the show, all right? And, you know, you're giving everybody get deadlines because we all have to work on deadlines, you know, because stuff has to be done to prepare for the show. Promo has to be done because we want you and your brand promoted. Um, so don't tell me that you're going to do one thing because I'm going to hold you accountable for that, you know. Like I expect people to hold me accountable. They expect me to be here. They expect me to promote their show, you know what I mean. They expect me to promote them after the show because that's what I do. But don't, don't, don't chase me down telling me that you want to be on the show and then you're MIA two days before the show. Can't nobody find you. You know, you're not responding. And, and I'm not going to chase nobody. I don't do that. My schedule is too hectic. I can't chase you. You know, we're all adults. And so, um, I feel like you should be a woman or a man of your word, and if you're going to be here, be here. Nevertheless, God always has a ram in the bush, doesn't he? Doesn't he? You just drop a quick note and saying, I got an open spot, and bam, there's somebody. And I've actually been wanting to interview this young lady, get her on my show for a minute, um, and it just so happens that, you know, she says she was interested. So I'm super excited to have author, artist, and creative director Harlow Hendricks here with me this evening. Harlow Hendricks refers to herself as a middle-aged millennial and the renaissance renegade. I can get with that middle-aged millennial thing. I I can't. I think it's because, you know, I got teenagers and whatever. I think I can get with that. I like that. Um, She's a former producer and reoccurring co-host on Saved and Sexy Radio. Shout Shout out Susie Newton right there. Harlow is an author, an entrepreneur, and a community activist. She has written two publications under her pen name, Tony Raycel. I probably said that all wrong. Y'all just Google it, all right? T-O-N-I-R-A-C-E-L-L, okay? One fictional novel called Bread Pudding and a collection of stories and poems called The Experience Chronicles. And it has some more to that. It's like The Experience Chronicles. I don't have exes. I've had experiences. I like that. I like that. Her third and upcoming novel titled Born Broken is expected to be released early 2020. Harlow has a BFA in visual communications. She is also considered a light healer as a certified USUI, R-Y-O-H-O, Reiki master and teacher, and creates handmade healing jewelry, of which the proceeds go to her community efforts called Candy Collective Project. Harlow is a wife, a mother of three, and the grandmother of three. She's a former Texas resident born in San Francisco, California, but considers Los Angeles her home. She currently resides in Las Vegas, Nevada with her family. And if I am listening audience, I present to you this evening my guest, author, artist, entrepreneur, creative director, community activist, on and on and on. This lady does it all. Mrs. Harlow Hendricks. Hello, my goodness. You make me sound fabulous. 
God, that's my job. I was listening to that. I was like, wait a minute. That's awesome. It's such a pleasure to be with you this evening. I am so glad. Let me take the opportunity now to tell you thank you. You could have been anywhere this evening, but you have chosen to uh, this afternoon, depending on where you are. Uh, you've taken the opportunity to be here with me. I'm out of your very, very, very busy schedule, and I'm very humble, and I thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's always my pleasure to work with other other women who are out there doing their thing, and we got to support each other. And, and when I saw that post, I was like, I want to do it. She's I always see all of your posts, and I just want to support all my sisters out there. So it is a pleasure to be here with you on your station this evening. Thank you. Again, thank you for being here. I want to jump right into this, talking about um, supporting and empowering women. Um, Mm -hmm. You are the founder and creator of a community um, called 40 Fab, which caters Mm -hmm. to those who are fabulously 40 and beyond. Like, why am I not in this? Because I, lie about I don't know, but you know, it's really. I, I will be honest. I'm I'm kind of bad at keeping up topic on it, but when I am on it, because I have so many other projects going at the same time, um, I started 45 like right around my 40th birthday, maybe a little after, because I actually struggled, you know, for a bit, maybe like a lot of women with the aging process. You know, you feel like you should be in a certain place, in a certain space. Um, you know, you feel like you should think certain things or feel certain ways. At least that's how the generation before me had been taught. And then I started to embrace, like, you know, you know, I'm 40. That's, that's dope. Like, I'm still into hip-hop. You know, I have great communication with my kids. I love all the new things that are happening. Why should I feel stifled? Because people think women over 40 should act and feel a certain way. So... When I created that community, it was really just to empower not just women but men um, of, of you know that are forty or over. And I was in, and I want to take full credit for that concept because there was another um, at the same time there was something called Fly and Ageless uh, that was coming up, you know. But it kind of catered to a, a niche group of people, so I wanted Forty Five to be something that was a, a larger brand and we can connect everybody, all women of all backgrounds, to just feel encouraged to and empowered to just be who they are. So that was the so whole that premise behind mission. that. Initially, that was the mission at the offset of that creation? Yes, that was the mission. Just to, to really empower, I wanted to really speak to women, and, and hopefully I plan to, to go into that more where we're doing more live videos. But there's some, you know, some beautiful women out there that are 40 and over and, you know, they're they're single or they're feeling like they should be at a certain place or dress a certain way or act a certain way. And then you get, if you do, you get labeled, you know, if you, you right, know, date right. younger men or, you know, wear certain clothes, you're being labeled as wanting to be something that you're not. But when you hit a certain age in your life, you are exactly who you want to be. So you know who you are, and we shouldn't let other people define that just because we're a certain age. And that's what 45 is. You'll see women who are lift, uh, weightlifters. I, I've, uh, you know, posted about women who are 100 that are running marathons. Like, like there's nothing we can't do. We just have to really commit to wanting to do it. So I'm reading here um, that this 45, um, the platform is, to motivate, inspire, or and inspire those who are redefining the social expectations of those who are over 40 by embracing the core of their youthful essence 
and timeless outlook on life. Yes. How has um, the creation of this organization, how has it affected you um, as being over 40? Well, you know, it. I'm actually, well, I will say this. I was, at, like I said, I was apprehensive. Now I'm excited. I embrace the aging process more so than, I mean, if you look, you know, I can go back and remember when I was 21 going, oh, my God, 50, that's so far away. I don't even want to get that old. That's just old, you know. And I thought, you know, and as I, I mean, I'll be 50 in like two weeks. And when I was coming what? up, and it's, yes, I'll be 50 on the 28th, and I'm super excited to celebrate that milestone in my life. And I say this because my grandmother, she lived to be 100. Um, just recently passed away last year, um, peace, but and she has such a livelihood and such an essence about her. Like my grandmother, you know, you ask her, you say, hey, Millie, how'd you, how you stay so young? You know, she's like a, a shot of Johnny Walker wet, red in the morning. That's crazy to me, but she was just youthful. <laughs> she would get up and drive. I remember being in my, you know, late 30s, early 40s and going, you know, how come you don't just sit down somewhere? You should be just, just sit down. You're always on the go. Stop moving around. I'm thinking, I'm, and I'm thinking to myself now, like, that's what I want to be. And I noticed that in previous generations, women, you know, of a certain age, we get apprehensive. We feel like we're being... Um, judged or looked at or or expected to be a certain way in life, and I look at women like um, um, Elion Musk, his mother. She's like mm-hmm. the old, uh, the oldest cover girl model at this point, seven years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I follow this awesome page called Advanced Style, and they just had a fashion show with women who were sixty plus, and they were killing it. And I'm thinking that's the mindset I want to be be in. You want to continue to grow. You want to continue to learn and challenge yourself because that's the essence of youth, learning. Don't ever get to a point in your life where I know it all. I've done it all. Right. I've seen it all. Because especially with the way, and that's why I call myself the middle-aged millennial, because there's so much stuff out here technology-wise, information-wise, that we are now able to embrace that we couldn't even do 20 years ago. So I'm going, okay, I can I can learn this, I can be this and people are pursuing their dreams on major scales and they're they're over forty. They're not even, you know, twenty, thirty, they're over forty. So I just wanna con I want that momentum to continue and for people over forty just to embrace their 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 true selves because you really like I'm serious, I really didn't know who I was until I got around forty and I was like, Oh, this is who I'm supposed to be? Well, let's work this out. Let's 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 get in it. So that's where I am. Like, I can look at myself now and go and feel more confident and not feel so overwhelmed by what society expects me to be. I'm just like, I'm me, 100%. I'm just like, okay, it's, it's me, and you can love me or hate me, but I love it, so I'm just going to roll with it. And that's the kind of energy I just want to have the 45 community feel like as we start to get older. There's, like, Batty Winkle, amazing. She's got to be, like, 89 years old, and when she puts on that rainbow dress and that bright red lipstick and she's flaunting her platform tennis shoes. I'm like, damn, mm-hmm. I can do that. That's awesome. So I'm I'm waiting to get to that level. Um and I think maybe because I have I've uh I skipped the thirties because I denied them. I just I stayed twenty nine for ten years. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden bam I was forty and now I'm just kind of eh. 
since I'm on, I'm on hold until I get 50. I mean, I got a couple, you know, like five and a half more years to go, but I just, you know, meh, yeah. But I think uh, this this organization is it's amazing. Um, and I see that you're very passionate about it, as well as um, the other endeavors that you are into. I want to talk about the Candy Collective Project. Um, I saw when you first uh, started, you know, dropping posts about it and collecting clothes, and, and I thought, oh, this is exciting. Like, I want to be a part of this. Then I realized she's on the West Coast. I'm on the East Coast. Um, but I think what we're doing, as far as this is concerned, is amazing. Harlow is the creator and coordinator of the passion project called the Candy Collective. Um, it's a grassroots organization that is dedicated to assisting those in need in her community with a boutique-style community closet. Where do your donations come from? I've been blessed to um, have a lot of people in the Vegas community really fill this project and just donate clothes. Um, I actually had this idea about four years ago, and I had a really good turnout then. I just couldn't really get the participants. I didn't know how to reach out to the people who needed it. And so I will say that Facebook opening up these new features like the marketplace and things like that and the way they've initiated the groups in different ways has really been helpful in me getting the word out. And now it um, I can go out to, like, organizations. I've been reaching out to, like, sober living and women homeless shelters. Um, but the clothing, the donations I've, I'm getting, you know, Vegas just really showed up for me as a community and said, hey, I got this, and people call. I do have um, – some really reliable contributors that I really have to shout out to. I'm going to shout out to Dawn if she's listening. I hope she is. Dawn, I swear I could I make a post and immediately she's in my inbox and she's like, what do you need? And she goes out. Sometimes I don't know if she, she re-reaches out or she has other venues or she'll go out and buy it. Um, I've had people just really respond when I put out those posts. And it's been such quality product. They don't just give me any you know any other clothing they just give me really like name brand options very some have tags on it never been worn and it's exciting to get those just to see how Vegas as a community has really um showed up for me so i can't it really has just been the Vegas community they've been marvelous through the whole process what is so unique about the candy collective versus somebody going to say a consignment shop well, the the idea of the Candy Collective Project, and I'm, I make the story short. I, you know, about I would say about 25 years ago, maybe 24 years ago, I was in a position where I was living in transitional housing with my two young sons, and in that I was homeless. I was came out of an abusive abusive relationship and ended up living in transitional housing with my boys. And during that process, they had a community closet. And one of the things that people don't recognize, especially when women are or people are going through hardships, it's traumatic. So we're not thinking about, oh, this looks good with this or this looks good with that. They just want to get there. They want to get the job. So my goal was to the difference between this and other consignment shops is I'm actually catering to the person and what they want and what their style is or what they feel they like. So they, when they go to the website and they complete the referral, I ask like particular questions like, what's your favorite color? What you know? What's your sizes? What do you like? I try to give as much detail as as much as I can. Sometimes I'll even reach back out to them and say, "Hey, you got what's your what's your favorite cartoon character? Give me something else so that I can when I get these clothes, 
I'm I'm actually putting together complete looks. Like they're getting the matching shoes, the matches per the matching purses, jewelry, awesome. anything that when they walk out of here they can feel confident in what they put on. So when they go to these consignment shops and they're getting these dollar this or two dollars that, they're just picking what's available. They don't even know if it's exactly. a lot of times they won't even know if it fits until they get home. Right, right. And then they have to either throw it away or not wear it. So this process, I want to, when I call it a boutique style, um, I, it's like having a style. It's like I literally just pull out, and the way it works is I pull out, like I complete four outfits, and I give them, for each look that they want, I give them four different outfits, and they get to pick two of those outfits. And that way they have everything they need for that occasion. For the job interview, a night out on the town, or, you know, you got a special occasion, you don't have anything to wear. So far, most of the clients that have come in have been women that are coming from abusive relationships, homeless shelters. Um, I've been able to work with one young lady. She has, like, six kids, and she, you know, it's tough. And so she, yeah. you know, we help her with uniforms, her kids with clothes. So we just try to make it as u- unique as possible and experience that caters to each person. Um, when I started, I really wanted to be for, for kids and teenagers because they have the most challenges. Um, and when it comes to self-esteem and acceptance, and then I realized, you know what, there are adults out there that are going through similar circumstances, and they're more apt to reach out for the help. Right. So that's how the women, when the women came into play, I've been able to really, you know, service some women and, and just to have them call back and say thank you. I, it, You know, I just felt good when I went in. That's more than enough for me. And so I just hope it helps somebody along the way. Do you, do you offer any other services or products through the Candy Collective Project? At this time, I don't. Um, I was trying to stray away from, you know, like the smaller kids, like baby items and things like that, because it's such a huge turnaround and that you can all, I mean, not that you can always find it, but I, I volunteered in, like, homeless shelters. And they, the one out here, the basement is full of, like, clothes for kids and babies. but And, and that's easy because they're not really looking for that that motivation in terms. So I really try to focus on the adults. I would like to... More men, men aren't more apt to do something like this, but if opportunity comes along, I hope they do. But right now, I just try to stick with the kind of boutique feel. Um, I do it out of my living room, so when they come in, I have it set up like an office, and I just try to make them feel like this is um, a celebrity stylist. You know, you go try it on. If I can get a makeup artist to come over, like, we're going to do your hair, we're going to do your makeup. We're just trying to make it, give them a whole feel for it. We, that's what we want to grow into is giving them a whole entire experience. That would have been my next question. What are your goals for um, the Candy Collective Project? Moving forward. Moving forward, I I would definitely like to see it expand. I would like to see, like, right right now I do depend on 90% of my donations or clothing donations from other people. I would like to see that that percentage decrease and maybe get more financial backing so we can get newer clothing or people donating or, or get a bigger, um, bigger brand. So my initial goal is hopefully in the next maybe two, three years is to actually get a um, 401K not 401k. I'm sorry. Actually, get it set up. 
I'm thinking about my job. I actually get it set up as a um, actual nonprofit organization. Um, it's okay. grassroots right now because it's just me, um, a couple of volunteers, my daughter, and we're the ones, you know, that primarily just do all the work. And so I want to build it up where we're getting 501C status and that we can go to bigger markets. Um, and also to hope, hopefully to have it expand. Like, you know, you said something you would be interested in doing. If somebody's interested in doing it, not just under the Candy Collector Project initiative, but just on their own initiative, because there's people out there that do it all the time, but just on this scale where they're actually, it's it takes a lot of time, and I realize that, so I don't try to push it on other people to do, because you do have to spend, it's it, like for, for me and my daughter alone, it took us like four hours for just one person, and that was, we if we get anything that looks really new, but there's a button missing, we're going to sew that button on, we're pressing, we're washing, we're tagging, we're labeling, we're just making sure that they walk away like they just went to a, a boutique in Beverly Hills. We want you to feel a, a really true experience. So it does take a lot of effort, but that effort is is all worth it. it it's not. It's all that time we, that we do put into it. It feels good, cause, and it's fun. You know, if you're into styling and fashion and, and things like that, it's a really fun experience to be involved in. So I would like to see it grow and get more volunteers, and hopefully we can service more communities outside of Vegas. That is awesome. That That is so awesome. I'm excited about it because um, my daughter's a freshman in college, and she's um, in an MBA program right now for uh, fashion merchandising and consumer studies. She wants to uh, be a fashion stylist. And so um, she came to me today with some ideas that she has. You know, she already has her business plan lined out already um, for her business. But she wanted to start something on at the college, like on a college level. And she was like, Mom, I want to shoot this idea towards you. And it was so similar um, because we work with the homeless here where I stay at. We work the homeless and um, we go out and, you know, um, feed um, make meals, you know, whatever it is, whatever their need is. But there's people drop off clothes up at the Salvation Army or whatever, and and they take them to, you know, the homeless shelter and let them, like, go through them, you know, like barn rats. They just picking and pulling and stuff. Um, but there's they don't get that one-on-one attention. And, and that's you also mentioned that with a consignment shop. You can go in there and pick for yourself, and you may be able to try it on, or you may not, um, but there's not the one-on-one um, personal touch um, like you're offering. And I think that is that right there is phenomenal because when you have people in these circumstances, you know, um, things that have happened beyond their means, the last thing they need is someone just, you know, this is a handout, take it and run with it. You know, they want right. to feel loved, you know, and, and they want to feel appreciated. Um, they want to know that if I walk out of here, you know, this, what I got on may get me the job that I've been trying to get, you know what I'm saying, as opposed to picking up something and thinking I might, you know, I might be able to fix this when I get home or, you know, has this been worn before, or, you know what I'm saying, just just different things that they run through their mind. But when they have someone that is taken plenty of times to pick out yeah. a nice, you know, outfit for this occasion and for that occasion, and then, you know, you're not being charged for this, you're getting suited from right. head to toe, you know, with the purse to match, you know, so this is this is phenomenal. I, I really want to see this expand past um, Vegas, really. Well, that's my goal, and I'm, if anybody's out there, you, anyone is interested in being a part of this project, I'm open to it. Like I said, it's just, you know, I 
when I look at um, when I I go online and I see people like trying to sell their clothes, and there's people who legitimately need to sell these clothes for their own financial benefit. But if you think about it, you know, one of the the donors who gave me some clothing, she was like, I'd much rather see the stuff go to somebody who I know mm-hmm. will actually get used. And one of the the key stipulations, and you know, something I would definitely encourage your daughter to do, especially in a, a college dorm, because a lot of the girls in dorms or college students they're struggling too, yeah, financially yeah. or you know, going through that process. So I do the one of the things I do, I try to, I have to be a little strict with the actual process because you know you do get a lot of people that will take advantage of it that's the scary part but you don't know right. and you already know what your intentions are but right. you definitely want to kind of limit you know you want to give them a limit but you also want to give them in that limit you want to give them as much as your personal attention during that process like like you said they we can't make a complete change in a person but in that moment they will feel different and they will feel more confident and it does boost. I mean, how do you feel when you, when, you know, like any person, any woman, any man, when you're, you got the nicest outfit on and your hair is done and your makeup's right and whatever occasion you're about to step into, when you look and feel confident, you present yourself that way. And when they go into these these job interviews because they've gotten clothes off the rack at the thrift store you know, there may be a hole or button, small things that they may notice and and realizing that maybe the interviewer or the person with they're not really gonna notice something that small detail, but because you noticed it, that small thing makes you feel a little defeated. Like I can't right. afford to you right. know and so that that was a really big thing for me when it came to doing the Candy Collective, and that's why I had a hard time because, like, my first two clients came in, and I was giving them everything. Oh, you can take this, and oh, take that, and take this, and people start going through the closet, and I was like, wait a minute, this is not how that works because now you're taking stuff, and you don't even know if you can fit it. So mm-hmm. you can wear it. You're just in here like a regular. They were come. They were trying to come in like it was a thrift store. I said, no, that's not what I want this experience to be because – you take this home, what are you going to do with it if you don't fit it? Are you going to bring it back to me? Are you going to, pass, you know, pass it forward to someone who can use it? And a lot of times they weren't. I've had people take my stuff and take the stuff and try to resell it. And I'm thinking, oh, man. Oh, So that was one of the things I had to look out for. But now that I've kind of streamlined the process where I am in com- complete control of the experience but not taken away from the client that I'm working with and letting them know it's marginalized, that I'm, I'm going to help you. But and then my stipulation is when they leave here, I don't want you to pay me back, but I do want you to pay it forward. Pay it forward, exactly. exactly. So, it's been, so oh. far I've been, after the first failure the first time, and it was a failure, it was like, oh, this is really bad. Then when I, I woke up one morning and said, I'm going to do it again. And the next thing I knew, um, I had people contributing through our GoFundMe. Even though it was a small amount, I was able to get so much and immediately started helping people. I wanted to have it inside of a boutique, and I was looking at spaces and decided, you know what, if I can help someone now, I'm not going to wait until I get a storefront or I'm not going to wait until I get a, mm-hmm. a space. I'm going to do it while I can. And everything just starts yeah. to fall into place. I wish you the best of luck with this project. Um, I know that you also, and I've seen the jewelry, and I didn't know this until I read your bio, um, but I've seen the jewelry and I've seen the stones. Um, what 
is, I know, but but explain what a uh, Reiki master is. Oh, well, Reiki, it's kind of a, I guess it's a new age. I, I guess they would consider it new age, medicinal, maybe not necessarily medicine. It is a healing process that deals ex- exclusively with your energies and your chakras. So we have all have seven chakras. And as mm-hmm. a Reiki healer, I and my goal is to balance and to heal these chakras. And I had started studying Reiki about four years ago, and I wasn't really in tune with it in terms of <clears throat> this for me. But I noticed some of the natural things that I was gravitating to were also part of the Reiki healing process, like, you know, stones and, you know, even just lighting candles, meditating, um, certain colors and things like that that I knew would would heal energies the way I was eating food, the food I was eating, all those were part of the process. And as I began to study more, I thought, well, I need this for myself. I wasn't necessarily looking to heal others. I just needed that healing. I needed that balance and how to, I was, you know, I have severe anxiety. I've struggled with that since I was a kid, and I just needed something to help me maintain or manage that anxiety as I've gotten older because, you know, you get older and I'm not going to front, you know, I'm almost 50. Menopause is like in the air, you know, so I'm having anxiety attacks. I'm not sleeping at night. I'm getting headaches, and all those things were coming into place, so I started studying Reiki, and when I started to do that, I started uh, to definitely see a shift in my energy, how I address things, and a Reiki healer is just someone who, you know, really focuses on healing your energy. They can I don't necessarily could do it at a distance, so I like to be in the presence of the person, but it is just healing and balancing the seven chakras. So Harlow is the owner of Zulu, I'm sorry, Zula Moon Healing. Um, how beneficial is the jewelry that you sell? For me, you know what? I think each person will have their own experience with the jewelry. Um I I started this as again that's another passion project. I just started making jewelry and thought I want to make jewelry that helps others. So I would send sometimes just to friends send it. It really um, I will say this I don't and I don't realistically I don't look at these things as miracle workers. These are stones. However, um, they do give off some um, scientifically give off some sort of energy that calms you and things like that. However, it is the intent. When I wear my jewelry, it is a reminder of how my mindset to be. So when I wear my rose quartz, um, my heart, I'm, I know I need to open up my heart and to be more mindful of certain things when I wear certain stones, mindful of how I speak or how I address certain things, um, to be more compassionate towards others and whatever they're going through. So not only when I wear this jewelry does it um send out these certain energy vibrations. It also is a reminder of intentions for me every day when I, I wear them. And that's what Ray K really is. It is really about intentions, what your intentions are, and setting those intentions and those goals on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, um, one of the, um, the principles, one of the key principles of Ray K is like today I will not worry. You know, say I will not, you know, so you take that. Or I will, you know, do my work earnestly and honestly, or today I will be kind. So these principles, you know, we work with every single day. It's about intent. And when your mind is intent on doing something, it keeps you going throughout the day.
Got it. Got it. Now, I know that um, your bio says that a large portion of your sales um, funds community service efforts. So what other um, projects are you vested in right now? Well, in terms of community effort projects, um, you know, I don't really work with organizations. Um, I don't because I don't want to be confined to any religious regulations or government regulations. So when I say community efforts, sometimes I'll take some of the profit, put it back into uh, the jury-making things, but also, like, there are occasions where we'll go out and buy water and snacks and just go down to what they call Vegas Skid Row and hand out water. Mm-hmm. Um, we do, you know, my family and I, as a, as a unit, will go. We'll create like what we call blessing bags. Two, a few mm-hmm. years ago, I had mm-hmm. a um, a challenge called the five five thousand blessing bags, and I was challenging people to create these small bags and just go out and hand them out. Don't wait for Red Cross or whatever you know right, organization right. supposed to do it for that day. Sometimes we have to go out and just. Because a lot of people are missing those opportunities. I was um, the people who who can't speak or can't hear or may not know how to find those other resources. So I take some of that profit and put it back, of course, into the Candy Collective because I do try to buy new items. Um, I'm a big Wish fan, so I get a lot of stuff off of Wish. They sell all kinds of stuff, like, you know, jewelry that we can give out to our clients in, in bulk. Yes. So I try to buy in bulk. Yes. But, um we try to get little things off for, you know, for the candy collective project so that we're not just giving them, you know, you know, stuff that's been used. We're also throwing in a couple of new items as well. So we try to get like socks and, you know, underwear and, you know, hygiene things and, and stuff like that when they come and get their, when they come and get their whole outfit. We give them other stuff. Some people won't take it. Some people are like, yes, this is what I needed. So we just try to take that money and turn it around and put it back into the project so that we can help, you know, help people when we can. So um, this summer we didn't get a chance to go out and do the water thing, but for the last few summers we go out and hand out water, like I said, blessing bags. We throw in toiletries, snacks, and we just see people who randomly need it. We don't try to go to a specific location. We see homeless people, we keep them in the car, and we'll just get out and grab it and give it to them. So those are kind of the efforts that we try to use the proceeds for. That's that's awesome. Um, yeah, we we started doing the blessing bags. I don't know, probably five or six years ago, and we started doing them on Easter Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. And we would include like a little the little Bible um, in the bag, you know, the water, the toiletries, um, snacks, whatever. And then I felt, um, you know, compelled to to have these bags handy. Um, on a regular basis because people need these items not only on Easter Sunday, but, you know, they need these items at any time. And so we always have 10 bags on us at all times. Um, I travel a lot. So in my city, I know where to go, you know, the different places to go to uh, find the homeless or the, you know, disenfranchised. But um, when I'm traveling, you know, I always make sure that I have, you know, five to 10 bags on me so that I'm able to give them out. Uh, to those in need, so I commend um, I commend you on that. You and your family on that right there. A lot of people take simple um, things, simple things like that for granted. Um, I know there was a post a while ago: women who have old purses, and all you're going to do is throw them away, or maybe take right. them to the Salvation Army or whatever. Put mm-hmm. toiletries and you know sanitary items in those purses and give them to a woman in need. You know. 
Um, you never exactly. know what what you're blessed with, you know, that you feel like this is discarded trash, how it can be a blessing to somebody else, you know. So exactly. it, it, for me, it was like I had a huge problem because all my bags are designer bags. So that's the one thing that I spoil, you know, I got to spoil myself with the designer bags. But um, I thought about it. You have bags that you had for years and you may have used them only one or two times and they just sit in the closet. All right. So the value on those bags have now depreciated. Um, why don't you give those bags away? Your boy, man, that took a lot. You know, that took a lot out of me. Because um, I'm selfish. I'm my only child. I'm selfish. So that took a lot out of me just to be like, you know, to even come, you know, to terms that you can do this. You can, you know, I almost had a meltdown, but you can do this. You know what I'm saying? They just sit in your, your closet. They collect dust. You know, they're in their little bags wrapped up or whatever. But um, be a blessing to somebody else. You know? Exactly. So yes. I, I love what you're doing. I love what you're doing. I know that you're also an author. Mm-hmm. Um, two books already published, and a third one expected to be released in 2020. Yes. So uh, let's back up, first of all, and give the listening audience your pen name, because I probably jacked it all up. Uh, <laughs> you're right. You know you're, you're closer to anybody that has ever been. It's actually Tony Russell. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a part of my my legal name. So Tony Russell. I wanted to be identifiable, identifiable for people who really knew me. So, um, it's Tony Russell. Like you think of Duracell battery. I guess that's mm-hmm. the closest way to remind yourself how to pronounce it. Got it. Got it. Now, Bread Pudding was the first um, fictional novel mm-hmm. that you wrote. Um, and what? Yes. When did you first realize that you that you wanted to be a writer, on you know, an author? Like, was this something that just overnight I, I want to do this, or you know, did you have um, books or manuscript that was already written and you just decided to publish it, or how did that work? I have been writing since I was eight, literally like poems wow. and things like that. So um, I just didn't have the I didn't have um, I didn't feel motivated for one to pursue it. And then um, as I got older, I would always say, okay, I'm going to do I procrastinated for so many years. So <laughs> what motivated me, honestly, was the passing of Prince. Um, I'm a huge Prince fan, so if anybody knows me, they know I am a huge Prince fan. And I was I, a little torn. I, I think that's how we initially connected was our love for but, Prince, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes. Yes, so yeah, I'm a huge so you if you I'm a huge Prince fan and that and when his his death took a little bit of a toll on me um and also following that um the death of Denise Williams I mean Denise mm. <laughs> Denise Matthews who people know as Vanity was another impactful Vanity. person because mm-hmm. I, I had an opportunity to really um, meet and speak with her and one of our last conversations um, before her passing was. You know, first of all, she was always against me taking medicines, and if you don't have to take medicines, don't be dependent on them. But she was also really right. adamant about pursuing your goals. Like, and one of the things she said, what do you, you know, she asked me, what are you dreaming about doing? Well, she had written a book, and we had been communicating about doing um, some covers and websites for her before she passed. And I thought, okay, I'm going to write this book, and I challenged myself to finish it by a certain day. So. Bread Pudding is a really short book, but it was more of a personal project. It was a personal challenge for me, and I wanted to see if I could do it. And, again, with all the new technology that's available to us today, self-publishing was just one way of really 
living up to that challenge. So I said, I'm going to do the Amazon thing and see what happens and if I want to do it again. And I did. And it was, that was, it was scary. I mean, it didn't get the reception that I wanted, but I felt proud of myself because I did it. It was something right. I've been wanting to do. And it is, um, it, it definitely shares some personal pieces about me. It is fictional, but it is based on, every character is based on someone that I am I'm immediately connected to in some way. There's a characteristic or flaw about them in the book, and um, it is a lot of fantasy. You know, this character, I just I vicariously create this character of someone who I would want to see myself as at some point. So I enjoyed writing Bread Pudding. It was my first challenge to myself, and this newfound of being 45, you know, it all kind of came, all of that came into play around the same time and just kind of being comfortable with myself and being confident enough to, to publish the book. Hey, yo, what's good? It's your boy, Jerusalem from the Scarfella Music Group, and you on the air with the hottest station, Andy Fire, Andy Fire. with your host, Lil Timmy and Nakia, right here, right on the here, station, right here, right all the hottest right hip-hop right hits. And defile. And defile. Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get it. You're just tuning in. You're live right here on Indie Fire with Nakia and our special, special guest, uh, author, artist, a community activist, entrepreneur, creative director. And the list goes on and on and on. This is Harlow Hendricks. I'm just, oh, just talking about um, uh, the first book that she wrote. Now, from there, you went into the Experience Chronicles. Yes. <laughs> which is a collection of short stories and poems. Yes. Um, and it just gave me, like, an idea. Like, when I have authors on the show, they always encourage me. They always leave little, you know, nuggets for me to take, not only to my listening audience, but me um, personally, to take back and make applicable to um, this part of my life that I've been trying to, you know, get this book out for the longest. Um, but I find that I have so much going on. Like, I don't really have time. Like, I write a page a day, you know what I'm saying? And then I go mm-hmm. back and be like, nah, I don't like that. And and so, um, but I like that this is a collection of short stories, Um mm-hmm. Talk about this book a little bit. All right. Well, the Experience Chronicles is probably the 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 one I debated on doing the most. Um, they're all true stories. All the names have been changed, but they're all true stories. So, the short stories um, and the poems are poems that I I've collected or recently written. So it's a it runs from a gamut of like the last twenty years of just writing poems and not really doing anything with them, and I want to share them in some sort of way and so um the motivation to a lot of my writing is heartbreak and pain which how that's how musicians write their songs so i didn't want to look at i as as a, as i am now married and been raised for 15 years i didn't want to look back on my exes and at least not all of them look back on it as this is my exes <laughs> i i i needed to have grown or gotten something from that encounter, so they were my experiences, and from each one of those experiences, I evolved into the person that I needed to be, and it also helped me identify the person that I want to be with. Mm-hmm. And so, 
I've recorded, you know, over the years. Some of those stories have been pre-written. Some of the stories I just thought about one day. I was like, I'm going to write this down. Because, you know, you get on the Internet now, and all of a sudden you're on Facebook looking up your ex. Like, I wonder what he's doing now. I wonder what. And then you go, you're like, I'm so glad I didn't do that, or I'm so glad that it ended. But what did I take away from that person? Because I don't want, of course, I don't want, them either to feel like I had a crazy exit. You probably I was I was nuts so so I'm sorry. But from you I gained some knowledge about myself, even just internally looking at who I was at that point in my life. It wasn't necessarily their fault and even though I thought it was, I can look back and take self accountability for what I played for. And that was what the book was initially trying to do, to take some accountability for what I did in the demise of relationships, but also to just really, you know, let other people know that you're not going through this alone and this story and most of the stories are just really funny. I think they're just kinda of funny, like like what kind of idiot was she? Like, yeah, but you did it too, or probably, you know. So, um, like I said, right. they're they're all true stories, and so some people will be if they read it, which I doubt any of my exes will read it, thank God. But if they do, they'll probably be able they to know. identify themselves in the book and That's be like, me. Damn. right, right, That's me. <laughs> Like I did yeah. that to you. I'm like, yes, you did. And but you know, I appreciate you because now looking back, I can you know looking back, I go everything I didn't want, everything I wanted, I finally got it. But I had to do some changing too. So that was all. It's all in the book. And some of them are just really. Um, Nikki Giovanni is one of my favorite poets. She's my muse. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Iceberg Slim, and so I write and mm-hmm. I try to write and you know the way that makes me feel comfortable. It's a little explicit, you know. Some of the most beautiful songs are just really great great poems put to music and um it's a it's kind of a neo soul kind of thing, you know, we I the the whole Love Jones vibe it kinda of comes through that. It's a lot of spoken word written down and so I just wanted to share it. It was it was just my experiences and I wanted to share it and, you know, people get a get a little entertained from it. I did. As I went back and read it and I was like, damn, somebody gonna be mad Somebody can be mad because I said this, but you know it was—it's my experience, and I wanted to share it with this. Just put it down somewhere where it's solid. I wanted to be—I wanted to, to be concrete. I wanted to be somewhere where it's solid information. And this is what really happened. Well, all right. My wheels are spinning. I got lots of ideas uh, off of that. <laughs> uh, you talked—you said it was all your stories are true. So, of course, it came from a very personal place, even though it was entertaining. But Born Broken mm-hmm. is a little bit more personal, correct? It is. Uh, Born Broken is my story from the beginning. Um, and this is what's, it's, uh, it's been the, it's been my biggest challenge so far, which is why my the release date keeps getting pushed back. And actually the title has been changed several times. And I, I do have a literary, a literary agent who calls me like once every three days and asks me, and I never answer the phone at this point because I'm like, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. <laughs> but um, it is my story, and um, it, you know, just to give insight because I'm really, I'm really transparent. You know, back in the '70s, you know, I'm, I'm from San Francisco. There were incidents that changed, literally changed the path of of how my life would pan out and what would happen, and. Um, I, it also addresses mental health issues in our community. 
um, a lot of things that we don't or we didn't. I see it happening more now, but during that time, it wasn't addressed. So a lot of people from my generation, which is, you know, Generation X, we're growing up with these mental health issues and not really sure how to handle them now. And it is affecting us, especially as we go grow older. And so now right. we have to go we have to dive back into these memories in our childhood and address what caused, you know, this stigma or this sort of um, anxiety or, or what caused this sort of conflict and and overcome some of these fears and objectives as we get older because we've let it get, let us get settled in our ways. And, it, you know, I, I used to be a quote, and it, I think it's in a book. Um, it says uh, children can often take on the fears of their mother. And so yeah. that that book deals with me taking on a lot of my mother's fears and just some of the things that were going on during that time. And and now I see how it has affected, you know, relationships and how it's affected my my out, my perspective on life. So it really was um, cathartic for me. It was therapeutic and just releasing these emotions it was healing for me so that's why it's been the most challenging of anything that I've written so far it's just because it, it it is a process there's sometimes I'll write a whole chapter and destroy it because I it it, it was I go it's too painful but I never really completely delete it because I'll go back and go that right. needs to go in the book that's important it has to go in the book it's important I may not want to deal with it um but it has to go in the book and um also because it will um these a book like this will open up wounds for other people as well because what affected me also affected other people. So I was hesitant in the fact that I didn't want to hurt other people as well through this process or, you know, open up doors for them and they weren't ready to walk through yet. But it's my story and I need to tell it. So that's why Born Broken won't come out until early two thousand twenty because I'm still going through the pages going Am I ready to share this with everybody? And I've always been transparent, but there's also pieces of me that people don't or haven't seen. So sharing this is really going to put me out there. And I quote, it has been one of the hardest things I have ever written because I am still emotionally attached to some of the pain associated with several of the incidents in this story. End quote. How do you write um, and remain focused, not get distracted, knowing that you're writing something that is so um, emotional, so personal, your life story. How is it, you know, how do you remain focused? I don't. It's hard. I don't. I wish I could say I had some magic. I don't. Um, There are days when I'll just, I'll be in the tub, and that's when, tub is my therapy time. That's I'm great in water. I just soak, and I, I reflect, and it's like I'm cleansing all of the the bad mm-hmm. energy off so I can open up the new, and in that process, sometimes I'll think of uh, something needs to go in the book, and it'll be a horrible memory, and I'll, 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 I'll note it on my phone, and I'll send it to myself an email and think, uh, do I want to put this in there? And I'll hold on to it for a couple of days, and I'll I'll cry maybe or release that energy, and then I'll decide whether or not. So it really, and that's again, that's why it takes so long for this because I am so attached to these certain painful things and incidents. But there are also a lot of really good things, and I don't want to dismiss. I don't want I don't want the bad to overshadow the good, but I also don't want the good to overshadow the real. 
you know, because none of this, okay. all of this was, you know, it was hard. So I don't want the good and it'll be all, oh, there's a happy ending after this. And hopefully there is. Up until this point, it is it is accumul it is accumulating to a happy ending. But the stories in between, I want to be as honest and forthcoming as possible. But it was hard because I'm digging deep in the, in, I was digging so deep there were memories that were coming back and I was like, oh my, damn, I forgot that happened. I wish I wouldn't remember. Or I'll, uh, you know, I wish I would have just kept it there. But then I, I started to heal as I start to let these things out. And healing is such an important process of it maturing. Is. It, 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 just, it, is. it is. It's just a good process for our mental health, especially as black women. And I, I don't want to just put us in this category where it's just black women are being affected by it. But, you know, I grew up in a time where, you know, if you were struggling with anxiety and, and you didn't know how to handle it, but yeah, our elders would go give it to God, and and I, I, God. I'm all you know, for, I'm all all for praying, but I also got to put some work into it. I got to get some therapy. I got to you know talk to somebody about this. I got to write this down, or I got to share this with somebody because I keep this bottle up, and I'm just talking to God. Nobody else is hearing me, and you you question yourself: Are you really being heard? And right. that was the process of being born broken. You know, I came from. We all come from, in a sense of a broken sort of not I can't speak for everybody, from a broken situation. Just as people as 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 African Americans in this country, we're we we have so much taint in our history. We've been tainted, you know, culturally and then you I come from a southern black family, you know, my grandmother was a single mother, you know, my my other grandmother was a single mother, you know, so I had all these different things. My father didn't have his father. These are all stigmas that affect you generationally. Another reason for writing Born Broken was to break some of these generational curses, to be, to be as open as possible with my kids so that they can be open with their kids. And i got to break these curses. I can't have them yes. continue to do – at some point it's just not working, you know. I, I posted a few right. months ago, and I know we we got to wrap up soon. I'm going to be really quick. But a few months ago I was recalling – I'm sure people have heard this one – when you have kids – your kids are going to give you twice the pain that you gave your parents. <laughs> you know, everybody, you know, I've heard that all yes. my life. Okay, yeah, wait till you have kids. And yes. I thought, I was sitting back and I go, well, if that's happening, that means that nobody's making change. Right. Nobody's making, right. we're still doing the same thing generation after Thank generation. And, mm-hmm. and it seems twice as bad because we remember it happened, happening twice. You have, you did it, yes. now your kids are doing it, their, their kids are going to do it. So it, it's it was like I got to break this generational curse where, or in, in not just a generational, but a, help break the cultural curse of of these mm-hmm. generational curses that are coming in with families. And it's time that we kind of see this and address it, you know, start address, ad- addressing generational wealth, which is why I have so many projects going on, which is why I want my, you know, because I want my kids to be independent of other people, you know, supplying other people's happiness and supply just their own. You know, we work right. and the bosses are getting paid, but you know, they're getting nice houses and cars, but we're still working from paycheck to paycheck. So I'm just trying to make that curse and say, hey, you break that curse. Like you can do whatever you feel you want to do in a passionate way, in a positive way, and grow from that and be your own person, be self-reliant. And uh, so it's it's the book is overall very personal on so many different levels. But in that, um, there has come much growth, correct? Yes. 
Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And healing, you're able to um, release. You never forget, but you're able to release yes. a lot of things that bog you down. Um, I, I can't wait to read it. Honestly, I can't wait to read it. I'm excited to to once once it gets out there because I'm hoping that it it acquires the reception that people will just read it and I'm not gonna make it expensive. I just want to get it in as many hands as possible and just share the story and you know hopefully you know like I said it will allow other people to be more honest and open about their past revelations or past conflicts so we don't have to be ashamed of you know being born broken, you know, and I, again, it, it it goes on deeper, you know, one of the things, I'm going to be really quick, when you're born broken, as a young woman, you got hypersexuality, you got low self-esteem, and, and then you got, you got this community calling you a hoe or a slut, and these women mm-hmm. I run into every day, but you mm-hmm. don't take the time to realize that there's something broken there, why is she acting or responding, why does she need this sort of attention, and so we we got to fix that within our community, and especially within our young men and women. You know, they say we don't commit suicide on grand scales, but when that young black man takes that 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 notion to pick up that gun or become a, a part of a gang or sell drugs, whatever he is, that's inflicting almost self suicide on himself. He knows he's not invincible. Right. So we need to start addressing these young brothers who are taking these choices and really find out what is their real intent and direction, because when they can't see past 25, I've met so many brothers, especially in Los Angeles, that didn't even see life after 25 because they felt that was their circumstances, that was their destiny, and we have to do more to change that narrative. So, again, I hope that's this is what I want Born Broken to bring out and start changing narratives and open up conversations for just not our communities but our families, our intimate families as well. Awesome. I feel like, and my um, boyfriend has a show that he does on Facebook twice a week. It's called, okay, so I better not say the name. All right, so anyway, the premise behind <laughs> the show is, <laughs> the premise behind the show is um, to be able to express love. Um, and he has guests that come on the show, and they, they talk about, you know, um, anywhere from doctors, lawyers, ministers, they talk about just um what they've gone through um, behind the word love, but how they have overcome everything that they've gone through on the other side now, and they're able to express love in a different way. They're able to, you know, give love freely. Um, and yeah. and I think that's what's missing so much in this world. People are so stuck on me, 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 and what I can get from me, and how I can get this, and how I can do that, and they forget all about the outside world. I think all yes. of us work hand in hand to, um, all, we all should be working hand in hand to help each other in any kind of way and, and spread more love and, and, and just promote it. And this is, this September is Suicide Awareness, uh, Suicide Prevention yes. Awareness Month. Yes. Um, and, you know, you mentioned that the, the numbers may not be high in the African American community, and that's because you're not seeing them reported. Um, right. They're up there. They're up there. And the ages are getting younger and younger. And younger. Um, mm-hmm. Because people can't be transparent nowadays. Um, yeah. And they feel like, you know, there's going to be some type of stigma placed on them. I'm going to be talked about. I'm going to be ridiculed. You know, if I, 
if I can't speak my truth. But I feel like that's what's needed so much in this world um, for people to be transparent. I think it will, um, you'll be able to release a lot of the demons that you yourself hold within you, um, stress that you carry, um, illnesses that you carry. As you mentioned, these generational curses, I believe when you can just be real with yourself and be real with other people, um, you'll see a shift in your life. So I hope that's what's going on with you writing this book. You're seeing growth in Harlow. Um, And I feel like on the other side, on the other side of when this book is published, something, you're going to birth something new. Yes. That is the ultimate goal is to definitely burst something new because it um, has definitely, like I said, just it being transparent, speaking your truth, not only that, just living in your truth and, and knowing, you know, you are flawed in certain ways, that you are growing, you are human, and we don't get stuck in that, um, that mode. we're trying to please other people just to be, to feel, to, to feel wanted. You know, we all want to feel accepted and but you have to be accepting of yourself and that's the whole process of, of being able to heal and accepting myself for all of my flaws like I remember somebody told me one time oh you know you act too much like innocent and I was insulted I'll be honest I was insulted because I was like am I am I weird and they were like oh you kind of act like Prince you watch too much Prince and I'm thinking oh my feelings <laughs> are hurt are you saying I'm corny are you making fun of me what right, does that mean right. but then I sat back and thought okay well you know what I took some some really key important characteristics of my person who who was who had great humanity towards other people, who taught love, who was about love, who yes. was completely transparent from beginning to end. Yes. And so if that was the case, I'm going to take that as a compliment then because I had to learn something about myself. But if you would have said that to me about 10 years ago, I would have been insulted. I would have been like, oh, you know, is, what, is, is that make me weird? Because, you know, I was always right, one of right. the weird kids. You know, does that make me weird? Am I different? But then I started to be accepted. You know what? Maybe I am a little weird. Maybe I do, you know, carry this purple blood in my, a little too deep. I don't know, but it is who I am, and it doesn't stop me from – I'm not a danger to you or anybody else, and it doesn't stop me from loving myself or humanity, and that's what we have to start doing. I mean, it's we're such in a very um, politically correct era where mm-hmm. people are scared to say who they are, what they feel, or how they feel, and we've got to watch our language. Of course, we want to watch our words, but we're also looking at how we're, you know, these images on social media, you know, trying to be competitive with other people or looking at other people's lives and going, oh, they lived a good life. And nine times mm-hmm. out of ten, it's probably not even close to what you think it is, you know, because, you know, there's a, very, there's a very small scale of people who are just that open and transparent in real life. So it has definitely been healing and a growth process for me. Oh, well, we are down to, you know what, we're out of time. Uh, oh. <laughs> I want to go ahead and give you the opportunity now to get all of your contact information out. Uh, for those uh, who may be listening live or those who may come back and listen to a playback show, um, if they're interested in purchasing any of your books, if they're interested in donating and partnering with the Candy Collective Project, um, whatever their need may be, um, to get in contact with you, the floor is now yours to get all of your contact information out. Okay, well, I'm pretty easy to find on all social media under the name Harlow Hendricks. So you can either put in Harlow.Hendricks or just Harlow Hendricks. That's on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter. 
And and in terms of the Candy Collective, we do have a Facebook page on Candy Collective as well as Zulu Moon Healing. Zulu Zula Moon Healing. I'm all tongue tied. Been talking too much. Zulu Moon Healing. And there's also a page uh, for 45 on Instagram and Facebook as well. So it's pretty easy to find. Um, every, everything's pretty direct. As far as my books, I am on Amazon um, under my pen name Tony Russell. So you will find all three books there, including the anniversary edition of Bread Pudding. Um, it actually extends from the first original cut of Bread Pudding. So that the uh, people want to know what happened to the main character, so I did add a pro uh, epilogue at the end uh, just so people know what happened to the main character. And that's where you guys can find me. I am easy to find. Harlow Hendricks or Tony Russell, really easy to find. And Harlow is without the W, guys. So R H A R O H A R L O Hendricks, like Jimmy. All right. Like Jimmy, and I'm not related to Jimmy. I don't know who started that rumor, but y'all need to stop. I'm not related to Jimmy <laughs> Hendrix. <laughs> well, again, I want to thank I've you got... for tuning in uh, this evening, and I thank you, Harlow, for being here with us. And I think uh, Miss Susie Newton, who has been on the entire interview, thank you. That's my business bestie. Thank you, Susie, for chiming in. Um, Thank you, Susie. I love you. That's my sister cousin. She is, I'm telling you, she has motivated me to no end. So thank you. Love you. Yes. Yeah, I know exactly where you're coming from when you speak those words right there. Um, <laughs> live uh, this Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Guys, you know, we don't do Saturday shows unless it's, you know, really big. This seems to be a little big. Uh, the Patty Pie guy will be here. I know you remember him a couple of years ago doing the uh, little commentary when Patty came out with the pies to Walmart. Um, he went viral, over 10 million views. Um, yeah, that guy, James Wright Channel. He's an entrepreneur, a musician, um, a celebrity chef, uh, a stylist. Yeah, he he does it all, kind of like you, Harlow. Oh, wow. He'll be here Saturday the 14th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. On Tuesday, we'll have... Business uh, Development Strategist uh, Shashina Gibbs at 6.30 p.m. And then on Thursday, the 19th, at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we'll have published author T. Bedford. So if you cannot make them all, please do not miss them all. All right? And as always, I want to leave you with a quote. The music is not in the notes, but in the silence between. That's Mozart. Until Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you all have a good night.